What an interesting world in which we live. And here we are still doing lessons online instead of gathering with each other. But you need to know you're still loved. God still loves you. He's still on the throne. And we're going to get through this. We're going to be all right. We're on lesson 10 of our You Are Here series where we are going through Ecclesiastes then later through Job, and then through Revelation. And that's how we'd always planned to spend 2020. We just had no idea it would be this appropriate. Uh, we need to get through Ecclesiastes and Job about now. So, Ecclesiastes. It's taken a while to get through chapter 7 uh, because it's very much like Proverbs. It's cut up into sections, and the sections don't necessarily attach to each other. They are discrete units of information that send you off down separate trails of thought. So it took us a while. We had two lessons already. But today we're going to do a couple of big leaps to finish chapter 7 and go through chapter 8 just because we need to. We need to absorb some information that's being given, but we also need to learn something about the way the Bible was put together and what our Bible really is. I hope you're intrigued. We have some work to do. We left off in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 18, where the scripture says, the man who fears God will avoid all extremes. I always love the use of the word all here, or in in many sentences, because all, we have to look at it and say, does that mean all? I can remember back when I was in university learning how to be a shrink, uh, basically, and I was having difficulty because the, the modality we used was rational emotive therapy, RET. It's very valid. It's very helpful to people who are of sound mind and are able to think and process. So that's a limited pool. But rational emotive therapy um, has a couple of tenets that I fought with. And one of them is there are no absolutes. I can remember the professor leaning over my desk, spittle flying, face red, angry at me going, there are no absolutes. And my response was, does that include that statement? This is one of the reasons it took me a bit longer to get to university. However, I still look at the word all, all extremes. I don't think it's valid here. You might think, no, no, God wants us to be all in for God. Well, Jesus said, don't be in all in for God to the point where you're ignoring your aging parents who have need, or you're ignoring your family. In fact, he tells his young, uh, Paul tells his young protégés that not caring for your own family, not providing for them makes you worse than a heretic. So not all in for God as in, I'm going to be at church and do church all the time. And no, no, you have some other things to do. So The wise person, the man who fears God, will avoid all extremes. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 19. Now we're going to start into a chapter where the teacher might violate what he just told you. But let's not go to that passage yet. We're going to start with verse 19. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 19 through 22. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. 
wow, let's unpack this. Every day, you face a myriad of choices. What facial expression? What attitude? What response? Will you hit send on that email? Spoiler alert, don't. Uh, are you going to comment on that Twitter thread? Spoiler alert, don't. We, we have so many things we could say and so many things we can do. And decisions, many of them are, are, are minor. You know, what am I going to wear? Um, what am, am I going to drive this car or that car? Wow, you have two cars. You know, we have a lot of decisions to make. Some of them don't seem that important, but some of them really are. Sometimes your word choices and your facial expression choices and the choices of whether to stop and listen or to speak or just move on, lots of decisions. And some of them can be very destructive. I'll never forget, and we've shared this story at Forth before. Uh, I was doing counseling with a man and a woman. I have not. I don't do counseling anymore. I, I moved away from that. So please, you know, find a find a legitimate uh, qualified person to handle you. Uh, I, I kind of burned out and did my bet. How's that? I served, but here was this man and woman, a young couple, very good looking couple. And he was very upset at his wife. And I'd look over at her and she's a beautiful woman, tears just coming down, very quiet. Well, he's just ranting and raving about stuff that doesn't matter. And then he used a word to describe his wife or he called a name to call her. And I immediately brought my hand down and slapped the desk hard enough to make the pencils jump. And he, he kind of did this and so did, so did his wife. Now, you need to know this guy was a bodybuilder and he could have dismantled me without breaking a sweat. So it's not like I've terrified him. I just surprised him. And I leaned over a bit and I said, who gave you that word? He looked at me and he goes, but, but I said, you chose a specific word to name your wife. Who gave you that word? And immediately he did what everybody does. Oh, I mean, I'm upset. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The English language has more than twice as many words as the language in second place. We have a lot of words. Why'd you choose that one? Who gave you that word? And we went from there. Who are you listening to to breed this kind of discontent in you? Who are you listening to to, get, to do, uh, help you decide, this is the path I should take right now. This will be the best thing for me. You better watch your choices. Choices are important. And here the teacher says, if you have a choice, it's better to be wise than be a ruler. Now, these two aren't mutually exclusive. I believe in history, we can find rulers who were generally wise. And we can also find wise people that we wish were rulers. Thing is that it's not a package deal. And so the teacher's telling us, you may not have a choice to be the ruler. That may not be your role in life. And in his time of uh, history, you're from the wrong family. Uh, your team didn't win. But wisdom is greater than being the ruler because rulers get exchanged. Wisdom will continue to grow. Like my last um, couple of weeks ago on my Monday encouragement, when I talked about science being a river and religion being a tree, science will continue. That wisdom will flow. The tree will continue to grow. Be a part of something that will outlast you. That's just generally good advice to anybody. Wisdom doesn't make you better than other people. You're just becoming better because you're gaining wisdom. The teacher's gonna call for some humility here. 
And in verse 20, he reminds us that we are all ridden with faults, all of us, every day. And that's important to remember. He also wants to remind us that we are all sinners. God chimes in here uh, in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I mean, what a deal, but you have to confess your sins. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So what the teacher is saying here, God agrees with in 1 John. You might say, well, of course, God agrees with it. It's all the Bible. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're going we're gonna to circle back to that. But let's just right now deal with the fact that we are all faulty human beings, period. Your faults may not be my faults. And see, that's the thing. We believe we have a good explanation for our faults. And our faults aren't really that bad in the wide scheme of things. But your faults, oh my goodness, they are horrible. Teacher says, don't do that. And don't try to figure out what people are saying about you. Don't Google yourself, especially if you're a public figure. All you're going to bring upon yourself is pain. Just don't do it. I have a cousin, uh, Andy McKay. It looks like McKay, but he's McKay. And he's one of the greatest finger, star, uh, finger, finger style guitarists of the day. Uh, just amazing. One of the things he's very famous for is that he takes Toto's song Africa and does the whole thing on one guitar and doesn't miss a note. It's outstanding. When you go to look at it on YouTube, you will see so many views and big thumbs up. And you'll also see people who put a thumbs down on this. Now, I don't know these people. I don't have the data, so I'm just going to make this up, but I'm pretty confident not a one of those people can play the guitar a tenth as well as Andy McKay. Why are they putting thumbs down on it? Because they can. They can be critical because they have no responsibility. I can go online right now and criticize all of the administration or all of the Obama administration or the Bush one before that. I can, I, I can criticize them and say this is the way they should have run things because, one, I don't have all the information, but here's a biggie. I have zero responsibility. Uh, I, I can say all that because I'm not a ruler. I'm not in the position of authority, so I am free to run around and throw mud. Don't do that. But people do it. The keyboard commandos that live in their basements and in their pajamas just kind of, you know, and, and going at people. The teacher says, don't, don't try to overhear what people are saying about you. It doesn't tend to go well for this. To be fair, if somebody were to sin against me, I would hope it would be a minor thing. But we all say we're all full of sin. Yeah, but, it's, you know, we're all, we're all full of sin and all sins equal on the side of God. I'm not, not so sure that's true. The Bible doesn't really put it that way. And I'd rather be lied about than murdered. So if you're going to sin against me, I, I do have a, a selection of choices that, from which I would like for you to choose. And some that are completely off the list. Count those right out. We're all having a bad day, though. We all are little data point here. 
I'm hoping that we're coming up on our last Sunday that we have to do this instead of be with each other because I love you and I miss you. And I know isolation kills. Try not to be alone while you're alone. Stay connected online. Find people to encourage. Find at least five people to reach out to every week that you can help. Uh, just with it, it might be with a grocery run. It might be just helping them by giving them a call and saying, I was thinking about you. Hope everything's okay. All right. Isolation's difficult. I get that. We're all having a bad day. But as the writer of Proverbs says, make level paths for your feet. In other words, don't make this harder than it has to be. I can't think of anything that would break your heart faster than living for what others think of you. Living for the like will make you a slave to the moment, never settled, never at peace. One of the rules of the internet is never read the comment section. And so now we've invented Twitter, which is just a giant comment section. Be careful. And if you find out that somebody has told an untruth about you, stop for a moment and think about the untruths that you have told uh, whether about yourself or others, it, just just remember that they don't have a monopoly on the lie. We we all have been guilty somewhere, sometime, even if only lying to ourselves. And humility comes from recognizing our humanity and our common state with all other people. Ecclesiastes seven. Start again down at verse twenty three. It's another admonition to keep your eyes open. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and search out wisdom in a scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. Uh, Keep your eyes open. I often talk to you about that. My son and I will often text each other and say, keep your eyes open, keep your head on a swivel, pay attention. Don't be mindless, bumping into things. Keep your eyes open. I think that we have in this current period because we're, you know, we got to get six feet away or 10 feet away. There's got to be social distancing. Yeah, but just keep your eyes open about other things. I can't enjoy most TV programs because I'll see it's a police show and they're the good guys, but they're violating rights, left, right, and center. They're misusing firearms, left, right, and center. They're getting it wrong. And I've often been invited by my dear Miss Cammie to enjoy my evening in another room, and I don't blame her. I really don't. But while we're looking all around us thinking, all right, now that doesn't make sense. That's not a good thing. Don't become, therefore, a critic of the world. It should remind us. There's a lot of wisdom out there, and none of us gets it right. None of us. We need, we need humility. There's this whole thing about don't, don't ask God for humility, or he'll, he'll give you to. But God doesn't play games like that. He doesn't do gotcha. Ooh, they prayed for patience. Let me get them. God doesn't do that. He's a good father. So don't play that kind of games with him. But remember, it's best, if you can, to be wise and humble. Let's, let's move on. 
There's nothing pleasant about this next passage. Nothing pleasant. You need to remember that this was written by a fellow about 900, 930 years before the birth of Jesus. You've heard, you know, way back in the day in the 80s, I think it was, um, there was a book called Men Are From Mars and Women From Venus. And it was just a way of explaining how men use language different than women and women different than men. And they do. The scholarly treatments of this were done by Deborah Tannen, T-A-N-N-E-N, highly recommended, uh, Dr. Tannen's work in sociolinguistics, the way that men and women speak differently. Well, if women are from Venus, the teacher's from the Horsehead Nebula. He's a lot further away than Mars. He's got some issues. Let's just read it, Ecclesiastes 7, 26 through 29. I find... More bitter than death, the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Um, this is, this is kind of scary, isn't it? goes on. Look, says the teacher, this is what I've discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching but not finding I found one upright man among a thousand and not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Yikes. To the ladies that are listening, a couple deep breaths. I'm not going to explain this away, but we are going to deal with it, okay? We need to think about what the Bible is. When I was a boy, I was convinced because I was constantly told that the Bible was the very words of God spoken through men. They were, they were secretaries. They didn't put things in their own words. They didn't uh, elucidate on concepts. They didn't go off on their own. God directed every single letter. And even one of the illustrations that they would use for us drove that home. And that was the old story of Balaam. And I, I won't go King James here, but I learned at King James. And Balaam's donkey, that, um, that God gave the donkey words to speak. And, and the preachers would say, he didn't just tell the donkey, you know, here's the general idea, put it in your own words. And we would all laugh at those silly people that didn't believe like we did. The Bible was written by human beings, inspired by God. But that does not mean that every word in there came out of the mouth of God. Now, if this upsets you, I want you to understand that I understand. I get that. But if we read the scripture without our blinders on, we find a lot of scriptures such as 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. All right. I thank God, Paul is speaking that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, and yes, I also baptized the, the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Do you, do you think God said that to Paul? Um, no, no. Paul was writing by the inspiration of God, but he was using Paul's words Paul's filters, Paul's experiences, and even his ignorance, as in, and I don't know this next bit. Let us not think that what the teacher said about women is what God says about women, because it is not. 
The teacher and God are in disagreement on this point. The Old Testament has a lot of arguments about God that Jesus settles by being Jesus. Women have been subjugated, undervalued, and mistreated for much of the history of life on earth, period. You don't have to be a of a certain political bent. You don't have to have even a certain philosophy. You just have to have your eyes open and read and look. Men have greater physical strength as a rule. Men have simpler thought processes. That is a guarantee from somebody who works in neuroscience. Much simpler, far more direct thought processes, again, as a rule. And we don't get pregnant, so we take all kinds of risk. We're able to get a lot faster into violence, into sex, into property, into uh, without thinking long-term consequences and security because we might have babies. And because of this, men have advantages in about every power grab situation that you can mention. God, however, comes along and he's the first one to give women rights and men obligation to respect them. And yes, to protect them. No, we don't think you're, you're fainting lilies that uh, need a man to protect you. But sometimes we need strong men to stand up and protect any of us, right? You know, I'm a 63-year-old, five-foot-nine guy. Um, I need strong guys around too. So I don't think I'm a fainting lily. Let's not, let's not treat this that way. God says we have obligation to each other. And we have at least as much obligation to the women as to the men. So again, he disagrees with the teacher here. When Jesus comes along, women were his truest friends. They were the ones who financially supported his work. They were the ones who did not leave him even at the cross. They were the ones to come to his grave. And in fact, on Easter, they were the only ones who spoke of the risen Lord of faith and of the new age that Jesus had now brought to us, the only one. I have sometimes been attacked by not by people from an old tribe because they'll say, you don't speak where the Bible speaks and silent where the Bible is silent, and you don't hold to the old paths. And my response to them a few months ago was, then I would expect on your Easter service that only women speak. They're the only ones allowed to preach. They're the only ones allowed to lead the worship because on the first Easter, that's what happened. They, uh, they decided then to go after the we don't celebrate Easter thing and it's best not to comment anymore. Let it go. The Samaritan woman was the first one Jesus told, he, I am the Messiah. And she was the first missionary to a foreign people because of what Jesus did for her and sent her off to do. This may not, however, just be the haughty, unwise statement from the teacher. And here's where I'm going to ask you to have some grace, and it's going to be hard to do. All right? If you can't do it, fair enough. I'm not going to ask you to do what you can't do. But ask the Holy Spirit to kind of give you wisdom when you run up across somebody and you think, what in the world? How can you say this? First came back to the States in, in the late 80s, and um, there were some people that uh, were very good friends of mine, and, and they needed to buy a car. And I recommended, uh, they were looking for a used car, and there was a used Toyota near us, and I recommended that. 
And the man got very angry that I would even suggest he would buy a Japanese car. Later, I found out he had lost uncle and a couple of cousins and a father in World War II in the Eastern Theater, Pacific Theater. Yeah, that was 40 years ago. But he was still so hurt that he couldn't buy something from Japan. Do I think that that's wise and taking in all the possible data? No, but I get it. I get it because to him it's personal. It's rather like with the virus right now. They'll say, you know, if you're in this age group, you have nothing to worry about. And they're probably right. Um, I take fewer precautions than I would if I were 80. But I take more than I would if I was 40. But if you have a friend who dies, even if they're, especially if they're an outlier, like a 30-year-old who dies, then you will always, always be furious with those who play the numbers game, right? I don't know what happened to the teacher. I don't know. Something bad happened. And he made, therefore, some bad ideas about women. And I'm sorry. We're not going to excuse it. But we can understand it, and we can give him grace that we wish to be given to us in return, knowing that this isn't God's idea. This was his. I think we can all agree with verse 29 that God's upright, and we are not. We all run to our own schemes. It is we who have corrupted ourselves. God did not corrupt us. As one man uh, once, and I wish I could remember who this was, said, the hair you're born with is God's fault. What you do with it is yours. And I thought, well, except for the people who lose their hair very early in life, the man has a valid point. We do change what God gives us, and it's not always in a good way. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 1, who is like the wise, who knows the explanation of things, the person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Here he launches into another talk where he says, I'm just not sure we can find wisdom because if we had wisdom, it should change your face. My wife says I have a mead face. And, and if you look at our pictures through history, it's very true. My son has the same. She used to say to me, Patrick, are you happy? And I would say, yes. And she goes, well, you might want to let your face know. And she's helped me a lot. But if ever you see me scowling, I might not be angry. I might just not let wisdom hit my face. And you can come over and say, if you're angry at something, uh, let's talk about it. Otherwise, let your face know. He's saying, I'm not seeing enough wisdom because I'm not seeing enough change. Information should change us. When I came upon the Taylor Branch books, there are three, uh, America during the King years, about the civil rights movement and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That information changed me. Uh, I went to the Museum for Civil Rights in Memphis. It changed me. Did it make me a great person? Nope. Made me better and put me on a different path. And I'm learning that I was ignorant. I'm learning that I needed to get my head around some things that I didn't even know existed. Information, if it's wisdom, should change us. And he's in chapter eight, he's saying, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure it's out there because it's not changing who we are. And America calls itself one nation under God. And we got churches all over the place. And yet our behavior 
does not indicate that we are well-churched. Where's our wisdom? Ecclesiastes um, chapter 8, verses 2 through 10 can be summarized. Understand then what you can control and what you cannot. It's all a call for humility to remind us of that solemn fact that we are not God. And we cannot stop every bad idea, nor can we correct every leader that we think is foolish and set and determined to do something foolish. This is not to say that we should be passive, but rather be wise enough to pick your fights, pick your battles very carefully, and understand the inevitability of Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8. No one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. We're going to die. We're in a war. Don't let the enemy capture you. Be captured by the Holy Spirit of God, not by the wickedness and the foolishness of the world. And this calls for humility, and it's going to roll through the rest of Ecclesiastes. He warns us that we cannot judge God or... Better put, we cannot judge how God views us by how healthy we are and how much stuff we have. I often have to stop and remind myself when I get frustrated at something in my life that there, there's a woman right now in South Sudan watching her children die of malnutrition who cannot comfort them in their whimpers. And God loves her as much as he loves me. I should not therefore think I deserve more than I already have. And I should not therefore think that I who am blessed and more beloved of God than she. I don't think any of us would say that if it was phrased to us that way. But we act like it. And we'll look at other people who are blessed more than us and think, well, why? Why them? They're not even God people. We're God people. We should have that. Don't do that. And even the length of our days, don't don't say, well, you know, God loved that person, and so they got 93 years. They got 102 years. They got what? The length of our shadows doesn't determine our place in the heart of God. It is, did we stay in the battle? Were we captured by him and our duty or by the enemy. Real quick, to wrap things up, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 12 and forward. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him, because the wicked do not fear God. It will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Now, does that contradict what I just said about long life? No, he's not talking here about years on earth. Your life, even if you only live a few years, can cast a very long shadow if you live your life well, wise, a holy life. The wicked, when they die, um, they we remember them. We remember Stalin and Pol Pot and Hitler, but they don't cast a long shadow. I mean, Hitler's thousand-year reign, his Reich, didn't last very long. And then people that follow it, we look at them and think they're losers. That shadow is not good. Leave a better shadow. And then 
to close. Verse 15 through 17. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them and their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw that all that God has done, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun, despite all their efforts to search it out. No one can discover its meaning, even if the wise claim they know, they can't really comprehend it. So there comes a time where we say, I don't know, but let's enjoy a meal together. The world, by the way, doesn't even want you to have that. They will say, oh, you know, it's too much caffeine. We haven't found a problem with caffeine in a healthy person, and it doesn't make healthy people unhealthy. You know, and again, extremes, we don't do extremes. But sugar, oh, no, don't do that. And, and, and we should not have that much fun. And you're laughing. God gave us this life to serve him and to enjoy our days as much as we can. It's okay to love your wife, to love your husband, love your children, love your neighbors, to love flowers, to love, to love springtime. And I have so many Michigan friends who love winter. Okay, love winter. Love what you see. Enjoy it. And don't feel guilty. God made these things. And what you can't understand, always wrap up the way we're going to wrap up here. The two salient facts of the universe. There is a God, but you're not him. So be still. Be humble. Want what you have. Like what you've got. We're not God. He is. Let's be at peace with that.